The Bahamas is at a crossroad. Do we continue down the wide path which leads to excessive debt, wasteful spending, anemic economic growth, and structurally high unemployment? Or do we change course and take the narrow path through a thriving economy, increased economic growth, tangible investments in the nation's social and physical infrastructure, which includes new investments in education, hospitals, and homes, and the creation of good-paying jobs? The Davis administration has been given the opportunity to arrest these systemic declines and put the Commonwealth of the Bahamas on a path to real economic growth and development. The time for talk is over, for it is only by hard work that the profits are achieved, whereas mere talk will only lead to poverty. The team here at CFAL Talks wishes the Davis administration all the best and will be rooting for its success. We will, however, hold this administration accountable as we have done with the previous administration. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of CFILE Talks. I am Pamela Ferguson, Vice President of Investments here at CFILE, and joining me in studio are Lachelle White, Investments Manager, and Angelo Butler, Senior Analyst here at CFILE. In today's episode, we will conclude this three-part series taking a closer look at the country's recently released fiscal strategy and debt management reports. We will look at the state of the Bahamian economy on September 16, 2021, and the current administration's plans to move the country forward. Michelle and Angelo, let's continue our conversation. What austerity measures are being proposed by the Davis administration? Well, I don't know if you can actually call them austerity measures, but they do have, they did mention a number of things that they wanted to do to um, reduce government expenditures. And one of those things was to reduce um, public sector employee growth. So they basically don't want to hire as much employees as they have been doing in the past, which is something that we've been saying for a very long time. And they also want to... increase the productivity of those employees. Um, Again, I take these things, these things with a grain of salt, because unless you have a very detailed plan to show me, like, how are you going to reduce this? Are you going to look to do this like 5% every year? And what is your end game? It's always, it's it's very easy um, to say those things. They also um, mentioned doing um, pension reform in the public sector. Um, A lot of... um, Government um, biz corporations still have defined benefit plans, and I think that they're moving away from that to define contribution plans. And basically, um, for those who don't know, the difference is with the defined benefit plan is that your employer, in this case, the government basically pays all of your, makes all of your pension payments on your behalf. So nothing comes out of your salary. And with a defined contribution plan, um, the government would pay a portion and the employee would pay a portion. Um, so traditionally, um, government corporations have had defined benefit plans and they have a lot of unfunded liabilities. So you owe, basically you owe more money in pension payments than you have um, basically in the portfolio to pay out. So they're looking to move away from that because that is a huge um, burden on the government. So again, like I've seen where they've been moving um, towards doing this. So hopefully it will 
um, work out, but we don't have any statistics on how this is working, how much money they're saving. Um, the government, in the um, fiscal strategy report, they also um, mentioned that they would be looking at state-owned enterprises, which is something that we have been hearing for years. But um, there are lots of elephants in the room. I won't call names, but <laughs> there are lots of state-owned enterprises that are simply not making money when they really, in fact, should be, but um, just years of mismanagement and, you know, years of just having running up expenditures but not collecting revenues. So the government did say that they would look at that. Again, I don't know if you can exactly call these austerity measures, but they are things that they're looking at to combat um, the high level of expenditure that we have in the country. Yeah, and austerity, I don't think, is something governments voluntarily believe in. Um, you know, austerity is only really used when forced. Um, so, you know, there's not really a lot. You have the typical, we're going to ask each agency to reduce their budget by 10%, and then you don't hear back from it. Um, so, you know, there's not really a lot. Um, the government, you know, especially fresh of an election, is probably not looking to cut anything or make things any difficult any any more difficult than they um currently are, like you mentioned there you know there's well there was back and forth between the government and the opposition regarding the public sector employees, and you know the government said they were going to transition workers from the public sector to the private sector, which one side took to believe that you know they would be laying off or or severing ties with workers, which would have the effect of reducing expenditure, but at the same time you know there's no concrete plan on how that's going to happen. So um, when you look at the budget, the, the primary expenditure for the government um, is salaries. And it, the, the two biggest things, I believe, are like salaries and interest payments. So unless you're going to, you know, there's not much you can do on the interest payment side um, unless you're going to address the salaries um, in some form. You know, it's difficult for the government to cut. So, yeah, austerity, it's a buzzword, um, not really you know, a lot to take from it. Well, austerity is simply to increase taxes or reduce spending or both. Now, I think what has happened with successive administration, including this administration, the focus is on the increased taxes and they uh, ignore that portion of expenditure that needs to be controlled. Yeah, I, I think so too. And they had also mentioned um, about talking about the digitization of government services. So, and they have continued um, to digitize government services and they've done pretty well in some instances. I've had um, um, really good experience with using the government digital portal. But again, you say that and you say that you're going to decrease unemployment. If you increase digitization, digitization um, that means that you're going to need um, less employees. Um, over time, it's not going to be something that happens overnight. And back to Angelo's point where he um, made reference that they, would, they wanted to segue um, employees to the private sector. I've always agreed with that. But my thing with that is you have to have some sort of growth in the private sector. And basically, over time, we basically suppress the private sector. Um, I think that they've made um, some changes that's going to help. But you're basically taxing um, businesses so much that they can't afford to hire, to absorb the people in the public sector. And also, um, we mentioned um, 
salaries, like how are they going to afford to pay even the minimum wage? It's like we have to consider um, businesses have to make more money um, in order to absorb persons from the private sector, from the public sector. And there has to be um, some sort of government initiatives to help businesses to grow. Um, we can't, I agree that we need to reduce the public sector. Gangelo said it's our, the highest line in expenditures is salaries and emoluments. But at the same time, we have to find somewhere for these people to go because if we lay off all these people, you're going to have to give them social benefits as well. So I guess we have to, it's a double-edged sword and they have to carefully think. Um, we didn't get here overnight. It's been years and years and years and years of poor management, poor decision-making. So we are going to have to think carefully in order to get ourselves out of this and to make sure that we don't harm more than we help the economy. And probably the reason why the government um, has to absorb so many persons in the public sector is because we are not experiencing that economic growth and that economic activity where the private sector can hire these persons. Um, and also the private sector has long complained about the educational standard. And, and because of persons not having that basic um, educational standard, then uh, productivity is relatively low. And so there's a lot of problems that um, they, are, they, are, they are dealing with on the private sector. And so for this reason, government has to absorb these um, persons um, in the public sector. And that's only in another expenditure item, like you mentioned, salaries, emoluments, and goods and services. Yeah, I, I remember the current Minister of Economic Affairs, he pretty much said that, you know, he said the government has been acting as the employer because they haven't been able to create that growth in the economy to allow the private sector to um, become that. And so, you know, you I think we'll see this this talk of reduction, but, you know, a politician without the ability to provide jobs and, and hire people of that power, I, I feel is worthless um, when you really think about it. So, you know, are they really going to give that up unless they're, you know, somehow forced? I don't think we're going to see that. So, um, you you know, it seems like pretty much the same old is just going to continue to happen. Yeah, well, that's why I think the focus ought to be on economic growth and development and getting all stakeholders around the table to see how we can move um, the country forward. Because, you know, they said a rising tide lifts all boats. So once we can get that growth and that development, then we will all do well um, in the economy, including government. Um, and they won't have to be burdened by hiring persons that cannot be absorbed in a private sector. So what stealth or hidden taxes are proposed in the debt management and fiscal strategy reports to compensate for increased spending? Um, I believe we discussed some of this in the last episode. So we had the VAT decrease, but um, removal of zero-rated items. So at one end, um, you're losing that 2%, but on the other end, you're gaining um, 10% on those 20 items that people say, oh, it's not much, you know, those are just unhealthy items, nobody's buying corned beef. But yeah, people are buying corned beef, and this is how people are surviving. So they're surviving on these basic items. And so when you um, put the 10% on that, that was a double-edged sword. So people are now paying more um, at the grocery store and even more because we have inflation. To be honest, I have not really noticed any sort of decrease in my grocery bill because on the one end, okay, you have the 10% fat. Um, but on the other hand, prices have gone up quite substantially. And so, I, I mean, we didn't really expect it. So you can't really fault the government for that because it's inflation. This is a global issue. 
But yeah, and then they also we spoke um, about the the real property tax, um, the revaluing of the homes, and the increasing of people's tax bills. When people, many people are very confused as to why their tax bills increased um, in some cases by quite a bit. Um, not even just like an additional ten or twenty dollars, but like two or three times what they're used to paying. So, um, yeah, so that is, I think, and the government did mention that they expect to collect about $450 million in extra real property taxes. Um, I don't think that's very realistic. <laughs> but, you know, um, yeah, they put out these measures, but they don't look at, you know, the fallout. Because a lot of this may mean that a lot of people don't, aren't, won't be compliant anymore. Like, I was paying, well, not me personally, but I'm just saying, like, I, if I were paying... Um, $200 in real property tax and you increase my bill to $800, I'm going to be like, oh, I'm not paying this. And, and what's the penalty? <laughs> what's the penalty if you don't pay uh, your real property taxes? I imagine that uh, the law probably requires them to seize your home. But if you didn't seize John home, John's home, how are you going to seize my home? Yeah. Yeah, and you know we have with tax compliance, but then like you say, we also don't have a system for punishing people. You could tell me you could tack a late fee onto my bill, and but then it'll just my bill will just be higher, and I'll just owe you more, and you'll have more in arrears. So I think yeah, um, I don't think they thought it through. I think it was just an easy way to like make money and not really they're going to be making money if they don't collect the tax like Angelo alluded to in the last episode if they don't collect the tax then you're really not increasing your revenues you're just increasing your revenues on paper but not in reality and then you just wait long enough and you'll just catch the campaign catch the, um, where um, <laughs> <laughs> where you don't have to pay the 100% <laughs> if you pay today yeah I mean, yeah, we just keep going around in circles, I feel. So I, it's, it's important for us to have a, have a better plan for the economy. We can't just keep beating on the same stick at the same thing um, all the time. Yeah, so Moody's has called the government revenues projection overly optimistic. What could hinder or derail the government's ambitious projections? Well, the like you said, projections are... Projections, you know, they are what you expect and what you anticipate. Um, in many cases, they assume a perfect world, or you know, no exogenous or external variables. But if the U.S., you know, the economy in the U.S. slows down, our economy slows down. Um, if inflation happens globally, it, it's important to us. There's the natural disasters that we have from time to time that. Um, you know, throw things off. Um, I saw a report from Moody's that said generally the GDP recovers in less than a year in most cases, which is good, but at the same time, you know, that that risk is still there. And as we've seen this last year, a pandemic came out of, not this last year, a pandemic came out of nowhere that, you know, no one was expecting and it kind of threw things off. So, um, you know, it's, it is a bit difficult to fit those into projections and forecasting. I think it would be good to, you know, maybe find some modeling whereby you have some sort of, you know, scenario where you look at if a hurricane happens, this would be our, you know, base case. Or if, you know, a pandemic happens, how, how do you factor those things in so you could be more prepared rather than just putting these optimistic assumptions out there, knowing that some challenges are going to come up and then you just find yourself blown off course in a significant way and it takes you five six seven eight years to kind of get back on track 
Yeah, so I think that also um, we are still in a pandemic. So if we have, um, not, not that I want this to happen, but I just think that we need to be aware that if um, COVID, if we don't make any progress in the pandemic, for some reason we have to go back, we have to be mindful that um, something can happen. And like Angelo said, you know, we had Hurricane Dorian. Um, so Moody's is just saying like, look, um, I know that you want this 25% um, revenue to GDP, but you are still you still in a dire strait. Um, I believe that the UN came out with a report and said that the, our economy took a seven and a half billion dollar hit um, from from the hurricane and the pandemic. Um, we can't recover from that um, within the next one or two years. That's going to take some time for us to recover. So I think that we have to be realistic. Also, we are relying on our recovery, our quote unquote recovery from 2020 to 2021, 2020 basically when nothing was happening. So of course in 2021, your numbers are gonna be overinflated. What we need to look at is where, where we were pre-pandemic and how we can get back to that pre-pandemic. So Moody's is basically like, um, look, this is not realistic and you know, cool your laurels, like put stead on your heels. Like you have to think about, is this gonna be sustainable or is this just a temporary improvement in your economy well, not temporary improvement, but these are these figures just temporary. You may not see these things again. Because basically, we're comparing it to when we had no a time when we had no economic activity to when the economy continued to recover. So I think that we need a long term plan um, for our economy, and we just can't rely on these short term these short term numbers. And you know, Moody's also said. Well, the United Nations report also indicated that um, that hit of seven point five billion dollars um, to our GDP as a result of Dorian and the pandemic won't be uh, improved until twenty twenty four. So it's a long ways off. And you know, we are relying solely on tourism. Um, for our economic growth and recovery. And the shell you mentioned, you know, comparison to 2019 numbers as opposed to 2020 numbers, because they obviously be higher if we uh, compare to 2020. And when we look at tourism air arrivals, the more lucrative tourism business, we are off 53.7%. Uh, off of 2000 numbers. So we, um, uh, the numbers that we have received so far from airs less than 50%, um, so far for 20, um, 20, for 2021. And then when we look at sea arrivals, we are off 92.06%. So we are long ways off from the 2019, um, numbers for tourism. It is good that we have opened up and more persons are coming, um, but then we still have a long ways to go. And I think we have so much more to do in really developing this tourism product so that the increase in tourism arrivals can really mean economic growth that trickle down to the average man. And I think to, you know, on a wider point, the, you know, I think we need to look at credibility of the government as well. I, I know it looks good to put these big numbers out there and, you know, make it seem like, things are better than they are. You know, we need to get in the habit of under-promising and, and over-delivering, right? I think the situation now where you see revenues are ahead of projections is a better situation than, you know, revenues being behind projections. And so let's not be overly optimistic. Um, you know, the persons that this information matters to, your lenders, your creditors, you know, they can see through um, some of these, you know, inflated or 
overly optimistic numbers. So, you know, let's get some credibility, get people believing back in the government, uh, believing that what they're putting out there is factual and, and accurate. And, you know, maybe over time that too improves the outlook and, and you know, that can lower interest rate costs and all of that for the country. Yeah, and I think um, just bringing it back to Moody's, I think Moody's concern was that, you know, the numbers were unlikely and overly optimistic because it appears as if the government is relying solely on compliance. And, you know, I have been looking at budget communications and I, from the government for many, many years, and that has been a key strategy in improving revenues, the compliance. And, and, and I think what they're probably saying to us is that we need more and so if your, if your goal is to simply um, increase government revenue receipts to compliance, it's unrealistic and it's unlikely. So what commitment in terms of money has the government made to infrastructure investment in New Providence and the other family islands to yield economic growth? Well, the government has mentioned that they would have a focus on the healthcare system. Um, I know that it was announced that they'll be doing some improvements to healthcare um, in Grand Bahama. They also mentioned that they were going to have more reliance on public-private partnerships. Um, so we'll see how that works out. I mean, I think that you also need um, money to participate in public-private partnerships. So um, we'll have to see how that pans out. But basically, it's usually just the same old rhetoric we talk about um, we're going to build roads, build schools, improve hospitals. And all of these things are needed. They are a part of um, their critical infrastructure in the, com in the country. But if you don't have the money to do these things, um, it's just not going to happen. I do believe that they said that they wanted to make capital expenditure 3.5% of GDP. I think the last target... Um, from the, under the previous administration was 2%. So I do commend them for increasing it, but is this actually going to happen? I mean, the, are we, the country is basically falling apart in some ways. Like we, like we look at the roads, um, we look at the schools, we look at the, the clinics um, in the family island, and they just don't have the infrastructure, um, the infrastructure that is needed. And one thing was also disappointing was that they are postponing the airport um, improvement projects, improving the airports in the family islands. And while I thought that, you know, the previous plan was a bit grandiose, like they were thinking of doing like $60 million in a $60 million airport in Hexuma, um, which I don't think is necessary, but um, they, could have, they could scale it down. I do think that some of the family island airports it's embarrassing when, you know, you have like international persons coming in and um, the airport is just old and it's just um, run down. Usually that they're, they're pretty clean, but it's just like, you know, we just sort of turn a blind eye um, to infrastructure development. We always just wait for a foreigner to come in and, you know, ride in on their, their white horse and come and save us. But I think that um, that's critical to um, economic growth going forward. Yeah, I think PPP will be a term you'll have um, very commonly used. I think the government needs to um, be more aggressive and, and active if, if that's going to be the route. You know, you find that, you know, governments take three, four years just to finalize one agreement and, and then, you know, it goes into the next administration. And But, you know, if we're really going to recharge the economy, um, you know, you have to get 
the cap because there's capital out there. Um, it, it's not very fond of, um, you know, investing or purchasing debt directly in the government, but there are businesses out there willing to finance um, projects that can be independently managed, like the NASA Airport Development type model that you can really use to develop the family islands and, and the people will come in once it's independently managed and properly set up and it will help the economy grow. But the government has to get out of this. We need to be in control. We want it, you know, so that we can do what we want type model because they simply don't have the capacity or capital now to do that. And I think it, we need to pay attention to infrastructural development that will lead, lead to economic growth. Because saying that you're going to increase capital expenditure to 3.5% may on the face of it seem um, to be admirable. But when we look at infrastructure investment, we're not talking about cosmetic changes to the schools. I mean, they have to be done. I think they should be operating um, um, type um, investments as opposed to capital um, expenditure. And when we go to the family islands, you know, I always ask this question, which comes first, the infrastructure or the people? You know, we're saying that we shouldn't invest because we don't have anybody there, but maybe we need to invest so that we can get some people to, you know, travel back to the, the family islands. So I think there needs to be a national infrastructure strategy. I think this is one of the things... Um, that we lack in our country. You know, we talk a lot about Singapore and how we got our independence around about the same time. Next year will make us 50 years and how they are light, uh, light years ahead of us in terms of their development. And I think one of the reasons why we are not developed as we should is because we fail to write the vision and the plans and strategies down. We just you know, successive administration just go by air, and it all depends on the personality of the pers- of the prime minister at that time. But I think what we need is a national infrastructure strategy, which would detail the state of the infrastructure um, that we have now. What do we want to see, and how do we get to where um, we plan to be? And I think to it, it would be good to involve the the individuals from those islands as well. You know, I saw the guy from a guy from Abaco speaking about how they want for the the port that's being rebuilt in Abaco for Abacoonians to own it. And so, like I said again, you have persons with capital, um, additional excess funds, and you know, if if you provide the will and the independence for the company, you can get these persons to invest in themselves, invest in their own economies, and they will own the economies rather than waiting for conglomerates and foreigners to come and build everything, and then the money just flows back out of the country. So get the islands involved, get the people involved, and everyone will be tied into its success, and I think that'll make the economy better. And I also think there needs to be investment in skills-based training. You know, we complain, and we spoke about it earlier, about how uh, employers um, complain about um, persons not having the basic educational standard. And I think we need to look at that and determine, okay, what is needed, and make investments um, in the high school, um, in BTVI, make investments and directly target those areas where we are lacking so that we can get qualified um, persons in these fields to improve productivity and, by extension, economic growth.
Well, Lachelle and Angelo, we have come to the end of another episode of C-File Talks. Thank you so much for a wonderful discussion. Thank you, audience, for tuning in. If you enjoyed this podcast episode, please send us a note at info at cfile.com or visit our website at www.cfile.com and show your support. Thank you to C-File for sponsoring this episode. Until next time.